Uh, how many in your home uh, or maybe among your friends, you can um, identify that one of you likes to spend a little more than the other? One of you is a little more freer to spend, the other one holds a little tighter, right? Um, that is not uncommon. I know Sarah and I, we don't, we don't buy a lot of things for ourselves, and I know, as I mentioned, a lot of couples have tension when it comes to spending. We used to do. We used to get mad money. And we were like, this is how much discretionary money you had, so you could go blow it on something if you had to. We used to get mad money. We don't do that anymore. We have a son now. Um, but uh, so it gave us some ways to kind of buy some stuff that you were doing. So, you know, we generally agree on the stuff, what to buy and what not to buy. We don't buy a lot of stuff for ourselves. Um, and like everybody these days, our family is having to kind of tighten the belt and be a little more careful with our money. When we do splurge, as you probably know, it's for things like eating out. Um, H-O-U-S-E, our, our family values are honest for H. Um, o is overcomer. Uh, U is, um, I don't remember. S, I don't remember. But E is eat out as often as possible. And that is something we try to hold to very diligently. Um, so when we do splurge, it's usually on either eating out or possibly grocery shopping, buying stuff that we don't absolutely need. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's those crackers that you buy. That, and I don't like the store brand. I need to buy club crackers. I don't like the Meyer crackers. I don't like the Walmart crackers. I don't like the Aldi's crackers. I want club crackers. Right? It's about a dollar more, but... Sometimes there's some things, grocery shopping, that we splurge on. It's usually about food, which I guess isn't too surprising. Generally, though, we live pretty responsibly with our finances. So when we get money for birthdays or Christmas, how do we still get money on birthdays or Christmas? Somebody slips you a 10 or a 20 or a 50. We try to put it towards some kind of wish list, something we wouldn't normally buy. Now, Sarah, she will have that money spent in like days. Two or three days later, that gift card's gone, that cash is history, she bought some shoes or clothes or something for the house, and I am a little bit more deliberate. I'm not saying I'm better than, that one of those is better or worse, don't, don't hear me wrong. Um, I take a lot of time, I'm trying to find just the right item to spend my money on, it's usually some kind of technology or some kind of tool. Just to give you an idea, I still have Christmas money to spend that I'm still waiting for that sale that I'm going to see, or that thing that's going to, man, I need this you know, this tool or this piece of technology. So, you know, waiting for the right thing. Now, I can imagine if we went around the room this morning, we all have some quirky things that we do with our finances. Some of those habits are harmless. Others, not so much. Our attitudes and our practices when it comes to money are really important. Not just to keep peace in our home, but because what we do with our money is important to God. According to churchleaders.com, there are 500 Bible verses pertaining to topics of faith and prayer, and yet 2,350 Bible verses on money. I just thought that was fascinating. That's one of those counterintuitive things about the Bible that you would never have guessed. We would think there'd be a whole lot more verses about topics like prayer and faith than there would be about money in the Bible, wouldn't you? I was shocked by this. Why do you think that is? Why would there be 
um, four times as many Bible verses about money as there is about prayer and faith. I think it's because our attitude towards money is an indication of the condition of our hearts. Our giving and generosity reveals our trust in God and our love for Him. Reckless spending reveals immaturity or a lack of understanding of God's ownership of all we have. Saving reveals wisdom and self-control. Proverbs chapter 4.23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, if our use of money affects the conditions of our hearts, then we need to understand and apply the Bible's instructions about finances. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture about money from the book of James. As you know, we have been working through this book for a few months now. We are winding down the journey. We're on the very last chapter. We have probably just a few more weeks left. And I'll be honest, this is one of those verses that I would have never preached on if we were not working through a book verse by verse, section by section. It's one of the reasons why it's so valuable to work through the Bibles that way is because you get all of the Bible, right? So James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look! The pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Hard words from James. As we've gotten pretty familiar with, James does not pull any punches, and of course he does not do that here. I want to talk this morning about how believers are supposed to respond to wealth. How believers are supposed to respond to wealth. Now, there's some debate about whether this section of Scripture is addressing rich believers or rich unbelievers. Now, to be sure, it's addressed to rich people who are acting in some unrighteous ways. Whether or not we know for sure that they are um, believers or unbelievers, they are absolutely acting in a way that is unrighteous. So, since there aren't any unrighteous, wealthy people, any unrighteous, wealthy people here this morning? Feel free to lift your hand. Since, since there aren't, it'd be easy just to skip this part and move on to the next section of James. You ready to move on? Well, as long as we're here, let's take a look. So as I was reading these passages, some questions popped up that I think we need to answer this morning. Some will have shorter answers, some will be longer, a little different format than what you're probably used to um, here on Sunday morning. So let's start with this one. Do these verses mean that all rich people are going to hell? Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. 
Your wealth is rotted, your clothes moth-eaten, your gold and silver corroded, and that corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Wow. Makes you want to go give away all your money if you had some. But if we think about Abraham and David, Joseph of Arimathea who gave a um, freshly dug grave to Jesus, Lydia, the seller of purple in the book of Acts, all of these were wealthy and were God followers, among many other examples we could give from the Bible. So obviously you can be wealthy and trust God. You can be wealthy and know God. You can be wealthy and love God, right? It's not a sin to be rich. So even though there's some really strong warnings to rich people in these verses, James certainly doesn't mean all rich people need to be prepared to weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on them. So this is good because the next question we need to ask, number two, is who is rich? Who's James talking about here? Who's he talking to? Who's rich? Well, if you're hearing me this morning and you have shelter, you have clothes, you have enough food to not be hungry, if you have all these and still have money left over, the case can be made pretty convincingly relative to the rest of the world, you are wealthy. The median income for all households in the world. Median means half of them are above, half of them are below. The median income for all households in the world is $2,800 a year. Most working people make at least three times that in a month. The median income of all households in the world, $2,800 per year. Who is rich? The median income for a household in America is $71,000 for a household. I could not find um, individuals. I could only find household. If it's true that your household, the median income for your household is $71,000, then you are among the richest 4% in the world. Who is rich? The lowest 10% of household incomes in the USA is $15,000 or below. 10% of households make $15,000 in America or less. 90% make more. But if you lived in one of these households, if your income was only $15,000 per year, you would still be over five times wealthier than the median income for the rest of the world. Who is rich? Now, to be fair, I understand the financial pressure of living in our country with this kind of income, $15,000 a year, is incredibly difficult. I am not saying that this is easy. But the point remains that if we have shelter, food, clothing, and still have money left over, we are wealthy people. Based on that criteria, how many of us would have to consider ourselves money, uh, consider ourselves wealthy? We have money to go out to eat. We have shiny smartphones in our pockets or our purse. We pay to have cable and internet or streaming services. We own a car and drive it freely. 
compared to the rest of the world and to those who James was talking to, we are wealthy people. Now, probably none of us here this morning would call ourselves wealthy. But I'm not sure James would agree with that assessment. This is a warning that each one of us needs to prayerfully listen to, that each one of us needs to try to determine what is in our own hearts in regards to finances, to provision to money. So the first question we need to answer, are all rich people going to hell? I think we can say comfortably no. That's good because, number two, the second question is who is rich? I think uh, most of everybody that's listening to me today pay for shelter, pay for food, pay for clothing, and still have money left over. We're all of us. Well, it brings us to question number three. What are the problems with wealth? There's some strong words here. So what are the problems? Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 to 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. What's the deal with rich? What's the problems with wealth? Matthew 13, 22 says, But the world cares, the worldly cares, and the seductiveness of wealth choke the word so it produces nothing. This is part of the parable of the sower. Seeds go on to different parts of the soil, different parts of the path. And uh, Jesus is talking about these seeds fall on the hard ground where worldly cares and the seductiveness of wealth choke the word so that it produces nothing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 8-10, through 10, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Does the relative wealth of the American nation and of the American church cause it and us to be less dependent on God? Let me read it again. Does the relative wealth of the American nation and of the American church cause us to be less dependent on God? Do you think our dependence on God increases as our needs increase. Let me give you some examples. When our needs are greater, is our dependence greater? Say one of our kids has a high fever and there's no medical care available near us. Are we praying more or less than the person who has an urgent care on just about every corner? When food is scarce, when clean water is unavailable, when there's no reliable police department to protect our family from violence, would these factors cause us to pray more or less? Would we be more mindful of God or less mindful of God? So yes, I think we can all, I see heads nodding all over the room this morning. The relative wealth of the American church causes us to naturally be less dependent on God. The author of Proverbs 30 said it this way, that give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. 
Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? I have enough. I'm good. Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. What such wisdom right there, right? Don't give me poverty. Don't give me wealth. Give me what I need. Because if I have too much, I'm going to deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? I'm good. God, go help somebody else that really needs it. Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. Money is a valuable servant, but an oppressive master. Money is a valuable servant, but an oppressive master. And only we can make sure that it stays on the right side of our lives. I had four questions for us this morning. One, are all rich people, are all rich people going to hell? Who is rich? No, not all rich people are going to hell. Who is rich? All of us that have these basic needs met and still have money left over. One of the problems with wealth is it distracts us from God. It doesn't it keeps us from living as dependently on Him as we probably should. It lulls us into a sense of um, false contentment, self-sufficiency. The last question I have for us this morning is how should a believer respond? How should a believer respond to wealth? James chapter 1, verses 1 and 6, there's some glaring examples of the complaint James has against the rich. In fact, um, verses 3 and 5, I'm going to repeat them here just so we remember them. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, The pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You store up treasure for yourself. You cheat those who work for you. And you live an indulgent lifestyle while others around you suffer. See, it's not just the rich that James condemns. It's the behavior that an elevated view of material goods and earthly comforts leads us to, that can lead each one of us to. We all see commercials. We all see somebody with a nicer car, with a um, bigger TV, with a better grill. Man, we all see better tools. You know, we all see stuff. See, man, I wish I had one of those. You look at yours and you look at theirs and go, pfft. How many of us today think on a fairly regular basis that if we only had more money, our lives would be better? And if I, we just had a little bit more extra at the end, man, my life would be better. If we just had a little bit extra, I could do this, we could do that, we could get out of this, we could get out of that. If we just had a little more money, life would be so much easier. We think to ourselves so much of the time, This belief, though, friends, I believe is the seed that grows up into greed and materialism. This is a deception. This is a lie from the devil. So do you think when you get more money that you're going to stop feeling this way? So you're making $25,000. Boy, if I just had a little more money, things would be easier. What if you're making, then you're making $45,000. Say, man, if I just had a little more money, things would be easier. You make $75,000. Man, if I just had a little more money. I can't remember who it was. I don't know if it was Carnegie. It was one of those um, titans of industry. And he was, at the time, the richest man in the world. And somebody asked him, you know, man, you got this. You're the richest man in the world. 
you know, how much more money do you need? And he looked at him and said something along the lines of just a little bit more. And that's just a human nature, friends. That's just, that's just our sin nature. It's not that he's such a terrible person. That lives in each one of us. And I just had a little more. My happiness is over here because I this money that I need or this thing that I need that I don't have. But if I had it, boy, I could be happy. 1 Timothy 6.6 says, but godliness with contentment. Somebody say contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Is great gain. It's not, this is not the, it's not the thing that we need. It's not the money. It's not the thing that we need. It's contentment. That is great gain. And practicing contentment, which is as hard for me as anybody in the room. Practicing contentment sets us free from the love of money and allows us to live generously. There's a verse in the Old Testament, and I, I, I didn't look it up, and I don't. But talking about he held on, I think it was Moses or Abraham, held on to the things of this world loosely. Right? We have this, there's a, a term called being tight-fisted. Anybody ever heard that before? It's kind of an older thing. It's more people of my generation than like yours, but... Um, they're tight-fisted. They hold on to everything with an iron grip, man. You're not getting it out of my hands. I want it. I need it. It's mine. Don't try to you know, pry it out of my cold, dead fingers. Tight-fisted. And contentment allows us to open our hand because we're not relying on our own selves, our own devices, our own plans, our own ideas that have to provide for us. Man, we're going to get this. We're going to get that. We're going to take this. Contentment changes our viewpoint from focusing on what we need to appreciating what we have. I'm going to read that again. I just felt like God just dropped that into my heart this morning. Contentment changes our viewpoint from focusing on what we need, which is easy to do. How many have a list? Man, we need this, 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 and this. We got to get this fixed. We got to do that. We got to do that. Man, we can really use one of these. Instead of focusing on this side, it helps us to focus on appreciating what we have. How many of you have enough stuff to appreciate? Come on, somebody. James accuses the rich of storing up treasure in this world. John Wesley, um, much of the theology that we believe as an assembly of God church comes from um, John Wesley and his brother. He's the leader of the Methodist movement. And he said this about money which I think is awesome. I'm uh, paraphrasing it a bit, but this is pretty much right on. Make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Man, I think there's so much wisdom there, right? You should make all you, you should try to get the best job you can. You should try to um, do the best you can at the job that you have. Try to get as much money as you can for the job that you do. Make all you can. You need to go back, go back to school. If you try something different, whatever, make all you can. And then save all you can. Sometimes the more money we make, the more money we spend. And even right now, it's easy not to spend more than you make. Credit card debt is at the highest level it's been in a long time. I can't remember the statistic I heard the other day. Make all you can, save all you can, and give 
all you can. If we will pass on God's provision, He will continue to direct it towards us. Um, they, they used to say, the old timers, if God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. My brother used to say that all the time. <laughs> I was thinking about him so much. Uh, his year anniversary of his death is coming up. And uh, I can hear him saying that even now. If God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. And it's true. It's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. If we will pass on God's provision, He will continue to direct it towards us. Do you feel that? You get that? That's what God does, right? When Jesus was here, He gave away God's provision to us. He made Himself God's provision. He gave it away. God wants our definition of what treasure is to be right Man, if you listen to this world, if we get conformed into its image, its likeness, if we listen to its messages, its definition of treasure is popularity and celebrity and riches and fame and attention and material goods, houses and cars and um, all that stuff. But God wants our definition of what treasure is to be Him. <laughs> That he's the greatest treasure there is. Not the pleasures, not the comforts of this world. The kingdom of heaven is the pearl of great price that we sell everything in order to purchase. Matthew 6, 20, 21. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These words of Jesus bring us full circle. James is no doubt referencing this part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about how their gold would corrode, how it would cry out against them. He's no doubt referencing this part of the Sermon on the Mount and his warning to those who are chasing after the wrong kind of treasure. God, I don't want to chase after the wrong kind of treasure. God wants our treasure to be Him. <laughs> Let me just ask you, is there anything in your heart this morning that you treasure that you want more than Him? And there's a word for that, and it plagued Israel throughout the Old Testament. It's called idolatry. thing that kept them. It's the thing that cost them the promised land, idolatry. It's the thing that got them thrown into slavery in foreign nations, thrown into exile two different times. Got people to come in and overthrow their city, destroy their temple because of idolatry and disobedience. There's a lot of warnings in the Scripture to be careful with money. There is a deceitfulness. There's a seduction that pulls us in. You just need a little more. You just need a little more. Just, you just need a little more. A little more is going to make your life complete. A little more is going to make you happier. A little more is what you need. This is a lie that tries to convince us that money is the answer. Money's the answer to my needs. Money's the answer to my problems. It causes us to see money as the missing piece instead of looking to our creator and provider to satisfy not just our needs, but the longing of our hearts. 
And most of the time, we're trying to use all this other stuff to fill. There's an empty spot in every heart, and it is a God, another cliche, but it is a God-shaped hole. It is a God-shaped vacuum that only He can fill. You can try to throw money in there. You can try to throw all kinds of stuff in there. Most of us have. This lie causes us to see money as the missing piece, but He is the missing piece. He needs to be our treasure. The treasures of this world are unworthy of our affections and our longing. (laughs) But there is one who will satisfy. There is one who is always enough. Let's let our hearts be drawn near to Him. Let's direct our hearts to love and appreciate Him. So how is the follower of Jesus to respond to wealth? We have to guard our hearts from seeing money and worldly success as the answer. Right? We can't see, man, if we just had that job, if we just had that career path, man, if we just had that that house, if we were able to buy that truck, man, we would, man, my life would be going and blowing. That would be it. We have to guard our hearts from seeing money and worldly success as the answer. It is not the missing piece, friend. Number two, we have to practice contentment. Somebody say practice. You, you hear us play up here on, um, on a weekly basis. We learned how to play those by practice. Anything you do that doesn't come natural, you have to do what? You have to practice. Contentment does not come natural. It doesn't come natural to me. Does it come natural to anybody out there? Contentment it does not come natural to me, but I'm determined to practice it. I hope you're going to join me. We have to recognize that all we have belongs to God, and He asks us to use what we have for kingdom purposes. We're, you've heard the word, we're stewards. He gives us this stuff, right? And then we're responsible to Him to what we do with it. It doesn't belong to us. We can do anything what we want with it. He says, okay, here you go. I'm going to give you this stuff to take care of. Uh, I'm going to check back with you, right? See, let me know how it's going. It doesn't belong to us. All we have belongs to God. And He asks us to use what we have for kingdom purposes. Not to chase happiness. Not to fill the hole in our soul. Kingdom purposes. To hold on to the things of this world loosely. If you could stand with me this morning. Lacey, are you able to come help me? Friends, before we go, can we, can we allow the Lord just to speak to us? To talk to us this morning? It's my prayer that this is not just another message that, man, that, that's good, Pastor Tim. Good job. And then we leave and then By the time we've eaten lunch, we forget anything that the Lord said to us. I want to give us a minute to listen. I want to give us a minute to respond. Because God puts His finger on stuff. Somebody could come up here and preach a whole message, but God has His finger on one thing for you. 
There's one thing and you go, oh yeah, I feel that. It's God's conviction. And the very worst thing we can do is ignore that because he's leading us. He gives us truth so that we can know him and so that he, we can train our hearts towards what is right, towards what is true. So he puts his finger on stuff and says that one, that attitude, those thoughts, that behavior, that habit. He puts his finger on stuff, friends. And the very worst thing we can do is say, oh, it's okay. God understands. Yeah, he understands. He wants you to change it. He wants us to fix it. He wants us to respond in obedience. Say, God, I repent. Help me to never do it again. That's what repentance means, right? It doesn't mean, God, I'm sorry I got caught. God, I don't want to get in trouble. Repentance means, God, help me to never do it again. That's repentance. So a guy used to do an illustration about a chocolate eclair. And he'd buy a chocolate eclair and then he'd put it in the refrigerator and say, God, help me not to eat this chocolate eclair. God, forgive me that I bought the chocolate eclair, but it's still in the refrigerator. Still making plans on when in the future he's going to eat it. That's not repentance. Repentance says, God, help me to never do this again. Help me to reckon myself dead indeed to sin. This morning, I am praying that God will help us to have a more biblical understanding of wealth, not to see people who have money as the problem, and to recognize that all of us are wealthy relative to the rest of the world, relative to other people. Each one of us is a wealthy person, and probably in James's opinion, we would be among the wealthy class. So these words, this warning is to us this morning. Careful, friends. Careful, the messages of this world. Be careful. Let's guard our hearts from seeing just a little bit more as being the answer, being our fulfillment, being our happiness, just a little more. Placing our security in that stuff. Let's please guard our hearts from seeing that. That is not the answer, friend. A little more is not going to make you happy. A little more is not going to bring you peace. Because even when you get a little more, there's still things you're not going to have peace of. The peace has to come from God. The thing that makes us whole has to come from God. It can't be contingent on any of the other stuff around us. We have to guard our hearts seeing anything other than God as the answer. We have to practice contentment. We have to recognize that all we have belongs to Him. He wants us to use it for kingdom purposes. So God, help us this morning. Maybe you're struggling this morning with contentment. Maybe it's difficult for you. You see, I'm a, I'm a melancholy. I see the problems. It's where, my, it's where my eye goes to. I look at a wall that looks beautiful and I see the spots. Not everybody does that. They look in the room and they say, oh man, this looks great. And I see the spots. My personality is my temperament. I see the problems and I try to fix them. It's who I am. It's how I'm made. Right? Some of you are the same way. You see the problems. You see what you don't have. We have to practice contentment. God, thank you for all of the blessing in my life. Get in the habit of saying it five times a day. 
God, thank you for all the things I have. There's some folks, every time you talk to them, that's all they want to do is complain. I can be that way. I want to share, this, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm frustrated by. I can be this way. I don't believe this honors God. And I don't believe it positions our heart to be right with Him. It doesn't position our heart towards hope or towards faith. Positions our heart to look at the problems and to focus on them instead of focusing on what we have. Instead of focusing on our God and how big He is and what He wants to do and what He's already done. We need to practice contentment, friends. How many of you, like me, would lift your hands this morning and say, God, I want to do a better job of practicing contentment. I don't want to focus on what I don't have or what I feel like I lack. I want to focus on what you've already given me and what you've done. If that's you, just lift your hand right now. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, God help us today. We repent of looking at what we don't have, of focusing on those things. Lord, forgive us today. We renounce any place we've given to discontented, complaining, murmuring. Lord, we repent of it today in the name of Jesus and we turn towards you with grateful hearts for all you've done. Help us to practice contentment. Maybe you're a little tight-fisted. Well, no one gave anything to me, so why should I give anything to them? And God just wants to tell us this morning, just, just open your hand a little. Open your hand a little, little out. You don't get by clutching and holding and grabbing. You, you get by giving away. Give, and it will be what? Given to you. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. When we're taking and hoarding all, guess what? There's never enough. There's always another thing to take. There's always another thing to hoard. There's always another thing to grab. But if we hold it loosely, God will continue to bring. Maybe you need to be generous today. God, I've been stingy. Help me today. I want a generous heart. If that's you, just lift your hand towards heaven right now. God, forgive me. I have not been as generous as you. You have blessed me abundantly. God, help me to find opportunities to be more generous. In Jesus' name. And maybe lastly, before we leave, we have not rightly defined treasure in our life. We've seen it as stuff. We've seen it at houses. We've seen it as IRAs. We've seen it as what's in our retirement. What are we going to get from Social Security? What's our insurance like? We've seen treasure as a lot of things, but we haven't seen it rightly as God himself. That we seek for him like gold. We seek for him like water in the desert. Seek him like precious stones. He's our treasure. God, help us this morning to see him as our treasure. Help us, God, to see you in your greatness, in your glory, to know that you are everything that we need and more. We love you today. I pray that you'd bless each person listening to my voice today, that you would bless each one today, God, to know that you are the only treasure that will ever really satisfy, and you will do so for all eternity. If you're listening to my voice this morning, you're listening to my voice later, you say, you know what? Jesus has never, ever been my treasure. I've tried religion. I've tried to be good. I've tried to believe in God. I've gone to church, but I've never really accepted Jesus and given my heart to him. He's never been my treasure. Well, friend, today is your great, today is your lucky day. It's your great opportunity. Say, God, I want you to be my treasure today. 
I want to give my life to you knowing that you're going to give your life back to me. God, give your life to me today. I give my life to you. Come and be my treasure. Come and forgive my sins. Come and make me brand new from the inside out. Help me to see rightly and to think rightly and to do rightly. My life would line up in the way that you've designed it. Lord, we love you today. Help us, I pray. God, we ask these things in your name and for your glory and by your power. If that's anybody's prayer this morning, somebody shout amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your day. Um, I'm going to lunch. Anybody want to come? Come tap me on the shoulder.